This podcast presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The host purpose is to suggest some possible explanation, but not necessarily the only answer to paranormal phenomena. We have not yet begun to touch the surface into these supernatural occurrences. With that being said, welcome to the Paranormal Journal. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Paranormal Journal. Thanks for joining me tonight. Glad you guys been tuning in, downloading. Like it, love it, share it, put it out to everybody who's into the paranormal. You want to listen to a good podcast about paranormal things, real investigations, talking with real clients, talking with real investigators all over the world, all over the country. They're going to be on this show. Trust me, they're going to be on this podcast. And uh, tonight's going to be no different. We're going to have a good guest on tonight. A real good guest, folks. Barry Conrad, yes, Barry Conrad, many of you don't know who he is, he's a famous uh, videographer slash paranormal investigator, he has investigated one of the most famous cases with poltergeist activity, and that's the San Pedro haunting, this case was, he was directly involved with this case, a lot of things happened to him. And his uh, other cameraman, Jeff Wecraft, during this investigation. I've talked to Barry Taff about this investigation. He was involved with these guys as well. It was his case. He, I think he believed he passed it on to those guys. And all three of them were directly involved with the case. And uh, Dr. Taft talked a little bit about the San Pedro haunting, not as much as uh, Barry Conrad is going to talk about tonight. He's going to go in depth about a lot of the things that happened in that, in that case. And in that house with uh, Jackie, Jackie Hernandez, with Jeff Wecraft being hung in the attic by an unseen force. Which I cannot wait to hear these stories. Unfortunately, Dr. Taft was talking about a lot of other different things, which was totally awesome. But he couldn't really get into the whole details about the San Pedro haunting. He touched base on it a little bit, not as much as I'd like to, but this guy is going to bring it to you. He's going to tell you the truth about what happened in that investigation. And uh, I can't wait to get him on. I'm going to get him on a hook here in a few seconds. And he's going to tell you the story about the San Pedro haunting. So stay tuned, folks. Don't go anywhere. Barry Comrade is coming up. Hello. Hey, this is Barry. This is, is this John. This is John. How you doing, Barry? Hey, John. Good, good. Uh, glad to get your call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was fiddling around with this Bluetooth thing. I couldn't get it working. I was like, what the hell's going on with this thing? <laughs> you got to work. <laughs> yeah, I got it working. I was like, here we go. Testing out new equipment is never good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you in uh, Pennsylvania? I saw your call coming from Pennsylvania. Yeah, yep. From Pennsylvania. What part are you in the Philadelphia area? I'm about uh, two hours from Philly. Oh, wow. Yep, in the uh, York area, about You're about forty, yeah, about uh, forty minutes from Harrisburg. Yeah, yeah, I've been to you know Philadelphia, and Gettysburg, did a thing there one time, did a talk there, so it was good. So, oh yeah, I, I live like uh, probably about twenty minutes from Gettysburg. Huh. Yep. I'm originally from Ohio. Uh, okay. Uh, from near, uh, well, near Cincinnati, a little town called Fairfield, where I grew up. That's by Hamilton. It's about 20 miles north of Cincinnati. So, um, yeah, so I, I miss that part of the country. Midwest. Out here, it's been, well, right now, it's it's really overcast. It's raining a little bit, which is unusual. <laughs> really? It's raining, huh? 
Yeah, we need the ring. So anyway, it was good to talk to you. Now, this is a for the podcast where you're you have a paranormal show. I, I assume, right? This is a paranormal. Yep, I do all paranormal stuff like UFOs, cryptids, haunting stuff like that. God, I love all that. I love all of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. I've I've been hooked on it since I was a little kid. Um, I had seen a UFO one time when I was a kid, and I was around fifteen. Seen a UFO, and I've been hooked ever since. Just with everything, just paranormal stuff, UFO stuff. It's oh yeah. Well, I did. A, I actually am working, been editing a, a project uh, that I shot twenty years ago. Uh, right now, I, uh, my girlfriend at the time uh, she had passed away, and we had did two UFO programs called Monsters of the UFO that were we sold as DVDs. My other shows were on television, but I don't think those were on TV, but, um, but the, uh, but there was one I did on Mothman, uh, in Point Pleasant, where I grew up not too far from there, a couple hours from there. And I remember all that going on, but I had a lot, a lot of the, the, uh, interviews with the original, a lot of the original witnesses who since passed on, passed away now. So I, uh, I put it together. Actually, it's, it's, it's really, almost done i just gotta add the narration uh with my vo guy you know and so we been dealing with that but it's gonna have some good stuff so it'll definitely has some interesting so there was a guy who uh his name was merle partridge he was the guy uh who had the dog uh, if you heard that story about the he had a dog that was barking incessantly and then their tv went on the blink and i think that was the same, I believe it was no, it was the night before. I believe when they had the first car chase, when they, when this uh, cryptid chased these, these this this car with uh, Scarberry and uh, uh, his his uh, uh, let's see, let's see, Roger Scarberry, his wife Linda. I interviewed Linda, and then there was uh, Mary and Steve Mallet, and uh, it was the night before, and his dog ran out, and then his TV uh, sounded like an old army generator, like gearing up, like. A, making real high pitch down and, and his dog disappeared and there was a ufo hovering over or like a red light hovering over that field so uh there was a ufo a strong ufo connection to the mothman stories yeah that's a that's a very interesting uh case the uh the mothman that that was i love the movie that they made the moth yeah. with richard gear in it that was a very interesting movie yeah now there's thing on the movie uh yeah I, it's been a while since i saw it but uh the uh, they had the bridge collapse, and then um, the silver bridge. And the interesting thing about it was that they never showed the uh, the part where the the tie into the UFOs, as I recall. Although it's been a long time since I've seen it, but there was a ton of UFO uh, phenomena, and men in black, and all that kind of thing going on at that time in that town. And, and, and the, have you been there to Point Pleasant? I haven't. I've, I actually want to go there. I've I have family that live in West Virginia, and uh, I've always wanted to go there. I've never been there, though. They have a – it's right on the Ohio – Gallup Police, Ohio border. And every year, um, they might – I'm not sure if uh, Jeff's going to work in it. They might run my documentary this September at the festival at some point. And um, – but they have a – I know this big Mothman festival. They started it in 2002, and actually, I think I was there for the first one. I went back for it, and I interviewed. You remember Rosemary Ellen Guiley? Did you ever have her on her, on your podcast? 
Yeah, she was on the same radio network as me back probably 15 years ago on Parax. Yeah, she was a good friend uh, of my ex, and she, I know when she came out the West Coast, she stayed stayed here, and uh, I interviewed her back there at the time about it, because she would give a talk about it. She was amazing. I think she wrote like a like an amazing amount of books. It might be like almost 100 books or something. She wrote so much. Yeah. She was really prolific, you know, God. And then, unfortunately, and she, even she's passed away now. Yeah, she passed away a couple of years back, I believe. A couple of years back, yeah. yeah. I went to a memorial service for in Hollywood. And, uh, yeah, really nice show. lady. Oh, extremely nice. Really knowledgeable on all that stuff. I can't, I can't believe how much stuff she had written. So she wrote the first. Well, well I didn't. Uh, I think I was just say one of the first really thorough books called the Encyclopedia, I believe, of Ghosts and Spirits or something. And it was thick. It must have been, I don't know, at least a thousand pages. It was big, big book. Very thorough and inclusive and stuff. But it was really an incredible book. But yeah, I was sorry to hear she passed away. I, I was at a memorial service for her. I guess she had cancer or something. But um, yeah, I was actually, I was actually surprised too. I had seen it on TV. I was like, wow, because she was doing that. Um, what's that TV show? That's this one now. The uh, Paranormal Call on Camera. Was it? Was it? Oh, was she on that? Yes, yes. Yeah. She, she she would do little cameos on that show, I believe. Yeah, and I think they had they had dedicated a show to her, and I was like, oh my god, Ellen died! I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I was yeah. like, wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But um, so I guess you wanted to talk about the San Pedro case, right? It was the case that you were you said you had. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I've been following that case for years. Um, it's very interesting. I talked to uh, uh, Barry Taff uh, probably about a month ago about that case. And uh, you've been in touch in emails. I've talked to him on his email quite a bit. So, well, yeah, you have he, talked to, to uh, Barry Taff. We have talked uh, on the phone, but we we communicate over the emails for the most part. And he's living kind of hand to hand to foot now. He was like, I guess he, his parents had passed away and. He ran into some, some uh, financial difficulties. He was in the, that's, he told me it was down in, near the Temecula area or San Diego. And he's, I think he's living in a hotel or something down there. But I need to hook up with him some point and see what's going on. But did he talk to you about the San Pedro case, how it all transpired and all that? Or Well, he kind of went into it just a little bit. He, he was talking about a lot of other different things. And he didn't really touch base on it in detail about it. And, um, I said, well, I, I'd been following the case for years, and I said, well, I'll reach out to uh, to Barry Conrad and see if you know he can, you know, elaborate on the case a lot more because I I read things about uh, you know Jeff Wheatcraft being attacked up in the attic and things like that, and and uh, Doctor Taft said that uh, a lot of things had actually happened to you as well throughout that case. Yeah, yeah, I did. You know, um, it's interesting that. The fact that you mentioned it because, um, you know, that thing was like, uh, you remember he did the Kennedy story, which yeah. became the movie. And that was uh, before I came out to California. I, that was in 74. And it was with a lady named Doris Bither. And Doris was, um, I guess, followed by this thing. And um, just like, uh, it became more or less a uh, have ghost 
travel story, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And in this case, in the San Pedro case, well, you know, my background was in news and I, uh, I've always had an interest, uh, kind of like yourself, I've had an interest in the paranormal ever since I've been a grade school kid, really. And, uh, and then I got in the, the television industry working in TV news in Cincinnati. I used to work with uh, uh, George Clooney's father, Nick Clooney. He was, I was his cameraman. Back oh, there. wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It was at the ABC network uh, station uh, uh, affiliate, uh, WKRC. Not to be confused with WKRP. <laughs> no, since the, yeah, the TV show, the, what was it? Uh, the, I remember that when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, with uh, Lonnie Anderson, and I forget who else was in it, but uh, I think they borrowed the call letters, except for they added the P from that station, because we had a radio station there. Yeah, I think yeah, I think one of the actors to that show recently just passed within like a year or so. The uh, the blonde-haired guy, I forgot his name. Yeah, it might have been. I'm not sure, but um, but that was where I worked. You know, I started out in TV news, and then, I worked there for several years, and then in 80, a producer I worked with went to uh, uh, Denver. And then I got an, a call to go to Denver. They needed a film camera guy because they had uh, just kind of converged over to uh, to uh, video. And I, I was learning video, but he uh, one day was still shooting film out in Denver at the KWGN television station. Then I worked there for about a year or so, and then. Got another opportunity to go to NBC affiliate there at uh, KOA at the time. It was KOA, and then it became now I think it's called KCNC TV. But but that was my background. So getting back to the the haunting stuff, it was um, you know like I said, I've had, had an interest in the in the phenomena uh, since you remember that Fate F A T E Fate magazine. Yes. Uh, I think that was the first thing that kind of caught my eye. But growing up in Ohio, aside from some of the publications I was interested in reading at the time on the newsstands, it was um, we had a lot of UFO sightings in Ohio. And then in 1966 uh, or 65, one of those years, I believe, I believe, well, right around that time, we had the uh, it was a Colonel Coyne. I forget his first name. But Colonel Coyne was a military chopper pilot. And up over, uh, I forget, somewhere in northern Ohio, they actually uh, had an encounter with a UFO that came up over the top of their chopper, and all their instrumentation went out. And it started sucking them up towards the chopper. And then it released them finally, and all their instrumentation came back on. I don't know if you remember that story or not. I, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, that was a coin that was in Ohio, and then we had a lot of stuff. And just above, uh, in uh, 1966, which is interesting, it's the same year as the Mothman sightings began, uh, we had this huge Michigan flap at Hillsdale, up at Hillsdale College, and then it was it. It, it, wind up, uh, it wound up being seen, and uh, these objects were being seen at Ann Arbor, and they sent J. Allen Hynek up there, who, uh, as you know, was the uh, Air Force consultant on UFOs. And unfortunately, at the time, uh, uh, Project Blue Book and places like that were uh, keen on diffusing, uh, trying to tamper down, tamp down, you know, uh, reports of those and try to get more plausible explanations. I guess they were trying to avoid panic. I don't, I'm not sure why they were doing it, but 
they sent Heineck up to defuse it. And um, he really didn't get a chance to do much investigation. He was up there only for uh, a couple of days. And I know he, inter Frank, he interviewed Frank Manor up there, who uh, he and his son had a farm. Or he had a, a farm there, and his son witnessed, uh, both he and his son witnessed the UFO land on the property. And since it was a little bit swampy, some of the property, uh, Heine gave this rush, kind of a, he was rushed into a press conference. And that's when he uh, had all these people, what's going on? Because there were police witnesses that actually photographed UFOs up there too. Although you don't see the photos that much, but I have a copy of them somewhere. And, uh, and then he declared that it was probably, although he said he couldn't, he couldn't make a statement in a court of law because probably swamp cats. And that's why uh, he took a lot of heat, you know, over the years because uh, swamp cats obviously doesn't accelerate into the air uh, from the ground that high up. It usually stays, you know, within a few feet above the ground. And if you can get a kind of a phosphorus glow from uh, uh, vegetation, it's, it's, it's a state of decomposition, that kind of thing. But um, that was that whole swamp cats thing. But that was... Like I said, Ohio was really a, a hotbed of a lot of things. And we had the, uh, right after, I think, gosh, within two weeks after this, this Michigan flap, and it was a flap because there were so many sightings, there was an officer named Deputy Dale Spar in uh, Portage County, Ohio. And he and his, uh, his assistant were checking out an abandoned car or something. It was like two in the morning and this object rose up out of the, the woods nearby and they, they chased it. And they chased it all the way across state lines into your state, into Pennsylvania. And um, it finally just shot straight up and away at a blink of an eye near the near the Pittsburgh, Air, Pittsburgh airport. Normally they don't think they're supposed to go across state lines, but they did chase that object that across state lines that night. I don't know if that rings a bell, but that was that was that same year, right after the the Michigan flap. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, the UFO phenomenon is is quite amazing. I know the one that I seen when I was a kid was I was blown away. I was just yeah, you know, I was just I lived in Baltimore my whole life, and I'm just walking down a inner street, you know, inner city street, and just happen to see this blue light. You know, above this uh, really big oak tree, it was probably a couple thousand feet above these this uh, big oak tree, oh, wow. and uh, made no noise, but it was kind of like I think it was moving, and I kind of caught it out of the corner of my eye, stopping, and I had yeah. just happened to look, and I'm, I'm reaching. My cousin was with me, and I'm, I'm around fifteen, and uh, I'm reaching over to my cousin. I'm glad I never took my eye off of it because I would have never seen it accelerate, it, and it was out of sight in like less than a second. It, it accelerated probably thousands of miles from a from a standstill to thousands of miles it went in less than a second i just wow. seen the direction it went in and it made no sound it just went and it was it was gone i was like oh my god and wow. I, I was my cousin i was like did you see that he's like i didn't see it i was like it, it just happened so fast man i said there's i said if you would have took if I took my eyes off of it i would have just it would have just been gone and i wouldn't have known what happened to it? But I actually oh seen it accelerate. I was like, oh my God. I was like, oh, it was like, I was like, oh my God. There was like something out of Star Wars, dude, when it went into light speed. You know, I was just like, oh my, that was, it was just unbelievable. And from you that know, point on, I was blown away. 
What year was it about? You remember what year that was? Uh, it was 15, almost 50 now. It was um, 15, that was around 90. Uh, no, around 80, 88, 89. 88, yeah. 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 I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, that's, uh, that was in Baltimore? You said Baltimore? That was in Baltimore. And what was weird was I told my father about it. My father said, that's that's really weird because when I was, he said when he was a kid, he seen a UFO in my neighborhood as well. He grew up in the same neighborhood. He said, we seen a UFO when I was a kid. He said, and actually when you were a baby, we had something happen at the apartment that we lived in. We lived in a row house and uh, right. my mother and father said they had woken up around, I don't know, it was around uh, one o'clock in the morning and oh. the outside was like, uh, completely illuminated in this ultra bright light. They looked out in the alley and it looked like my mother said it looked like daytime. And there was this vibration in the house. Like the whole house was uh, vibrating, like just oh, this wow. low, like emanating, like we, my dad said it wasn't a helicopter. It was something else, some kind of craft. Like he said, it was definitely probably a UFO. And, uh, oh, but, yeah. He said, you know, as quick as he said, they were looking out the window and it just went and it was gone. No more noise, no more light, nothing. It was gone. And he said, he said, he seen, seen the same thing when he was a kid. He said, he's seen this craft, him and his friend uh, going above a row house. And it was a small sort of, he says, about the size of a, a Volkswagen bug. Yeah. And it was going from kind of like house to house real slow. He said, and wow. it went got to the end of the block and it, it was just gone he said they ran wow. up there and it was gone yeah and, and and it's just a weird neighborhood because a lot of people in the neighborhood die from like cancer and things like that and people that have never like smoked or drank cigarette you know smoked cigarettes or drank or anything like that and they're dying from like liver cancer lung cancer really weird things that they you know people have never done any of that kind of stuff for dying from like cancer in that neighborhood Really, and it, it's really weird. Yeah, it's interesting because in that Mothman case, a lot of people, uh, I know John Keel who wrote that book, you know, Mothman Prophecy. I think his girlfriend died of a strange cancer. My girlfriend actually died uh, of myeloma cancer at age 42. And she started getting sick when we were out there on the road where the first sighting took place on the dirt road out there. Oh, wow. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was it was really tragic. She died uh, quite a while ago, 2006, and uh, she lived for a few years after we were out there. But it, we always we always thought that was strange because we we had a few really weird phone calls that came here. Really? Yeah, California. You know, she was getting this weird weird cryptic kind of voices, metallic sounding voices, and I think I have some of them, one or two of them on on a recording somewhere. I have to find them. But oh wow, I'd love to hear that. That's Creepy. And you wonder if that's some kind of a tie-in, you know, something to do with, you know, in that I think in that uh, John Gear movie, in that movie, the that they did, I think he was getting a lot of strange phone calls. They 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 built that up too in that movie. Yeah, something like Ingrid Cole or something like that, or something, I think it was something like that to that voice. I think. Yeah, that Ingrid Cole uh, character. Um, Ingrid Cole is interesting. Uh, the whole thing at that time in uh, West Virginia uh, seemed to kick off in an area called Parkersburg, which is, you know, probably a couple hours from uh, 
from Point Pleasant, and there was a guy named Woodrow Derenberger. Does that ring a bell, Woodrow Derenberger? Do you remember that case? Yes. All yes. And he was in a in a panel truck, like a pickup truck or something. And, uh, I think it was kind of a rainy night, and he was coming back home. And um, uh, actually, he was a shoe salesman, as I recall. And he was coming from Ohio back to back to uh, Parksburg. He was in uh, near Parkersburg where we had the encounter, and there was a UFO that um, I guess uh, his car stopped, and it hovered above the car off the off the shoulder of this road, and. Um, he said that there was a character that stepped out. I guess he looked human, but he had just a kind of a, a grin, kind of a Cheshire cat grin or something. And he said that, you know, he asked some different questions like, you know, where are we, where he was from? He said, oh, I'm from Parkersburg. And he goes, and he acted like he didn't know much about it. He says, what's that? It was a city, you know, people that do business there. And, and I think when he asked him who he was, he said, he said his name was Cold, Indrid Cold, and he was uh, obviously not from around there, I guess. But there was a there was a, a story that the, the object took off. I mean, he, he reported that the object he walked away from it, and the object took off. Said, "We'll be seeing you again," or something like that. But that's that's where he kicked off that whole phenomenon of the Mothman. It seemed, not that it had anything to do with it, but it was interesting that that happened. Just I think within two weeks before. Uh, November 15th, 66. That's November 15th, 66 is when uh, the car chase happened, when the two couples were in the car and they, the creature, they spotted the creature by the old power plant. And they never really called it an insect. The What they called it was like a winged bird man. It looked human. It had, you know, pretty powerful looking legs and uh, it stood about eight to 10 feet tall and had glowing red eyes. That was the thing that really scared them. And um, this creature, well, they turned around quickly on the road to get away from it, and uh, it just stared at them at first, and then they took off, and the creature followed them, and it flew over 100 miles an hour because they were going at speed, and it went straight up over the top of them. And, and then that, it's interesting that it started that whole thing, but I think that's where that cold comes from. That was from the person that Derenberger said he saw that came out of the UFO. His name was Indrid Cold, whatever that means. I thought that was interesting. I tell you, that's some really creepy stuff. You know, <laughs> I know yeah, I'd be scared of death driving down the road and something's keeping up with you flying above your car and you know yeah. you're doing 100 plus miles an hour and there's something that's keeping up with you. That's that's pretty scary. Yeah, and then and then again, John, is that it was a area. Uh, okay, it, within that year, that year span. The the uh, from December, let's say November fifteenth, sixty six, and exactly thirteen months to the day later on December fifteenth, nineteen sixty seven, the Silver Bridge collapsed. That spanned Point Pleasant in Gallipolis, Ohio, over the Ohio River, and it was filled with uh, Christmas shoppers and people like that because they were. They used to go over to a place called Tiny's across the bridge to shop at uh, at a Gallup Police grocery store. I guess they had good bargains over there or something. But there was it was filled, and I think 46 people uh, crashed into the river. You know, their cars went tumbling down into that icy cold water. It was really cold at that time. I was I was a teenager, and then I remember that water was cold. I, I can't imagine. It would have been cold because it was cold where we were. We were just two hours away, and it was just freezing. But 
13 months to the day that that first encounter with Mothman occurred, November 1566, the bridge collapsed. And they never were able to prove it conclusively, but there were two truck drivers that um, say they witnessed uh, the Mothman roosting up on the upper spire of the Silver Bridge the night before it collapsed. So I interviewed Marcella Bennett as part of that, this new documentary that I did years ago. Uh, and she was a lady who encountered it firsthand the night after the car chase. She saw it. Uh, she was with her brother, Raymond Wamsley, and uh, they were visiting a friend named Ralph Thomas out in the they call it the TNT area because they used to manufacture dynamite out there. It's right outside. It's part of the McClintic Wildlife Reserve. It's right outside of uh, White Pleasant. And they were going to visit a friend of theirs, and the, the guy wasn't home, but his children, I guess his children there was there. And uh, as they, uh, the, I guess the brother started walking up. He was ahead of her, and, and she just turned, uh, happened to notice a figure, like a, a gray, shadowy figure of a tall uh, person, but then she noticed it had wings and it was leaning against the car. And she was so freaked out. She had her, her baby, Tina, in her arms and the she actually dropped her baby and she had a lit cigarette and she, they, they, she was just like hypnotized by the glowing red eyes of this creature. And when they, and then her brother came back, the creature was gone to get her and she got up finally and got picked up her baby, the baby was okay. And got into the house, and they saw this creature come up to and look into the windows. They could see the, the glowing red eyes staring at them with the, the kids that were in the house. You know, you know what's you know what's really amazing about that that story. Yeah, I, I've been doing paranormal investigations for over twenty years since since two thousand. Uh, I did a lot of I've done a lot of cases, probably around the probably around the thousand mark maybe yeah. and uh in a lot of the cases kids were seeing this black thing with uh with red eyes and in one case i i had the mother and father were seeing the same kind of thing right outside their their son's bedroom it was uh they actually thought someone was trying to break into the house but they seen these glowing red eyes outside the window and they called the police and the police came, searched the area, nothing. But then it wind up advancing inside of the house and coming out of the closet. And uh, we went oh, in this, wow. yeah, we started investigating the case. And it was really, it was insane, actually. It was a lot of uh, kind of like poltergeist activity going on. Uh, just the first initial case that we uh, investigated, uh, we, they had a door off the hinges and it was leaning against the wall. And she has her back to it, and she's talking to myself and another investigator. And we both witnessed the door fly off of the wall and just comes over and hits her in the head, pins her to the floor. And, you know, she spills coffee all over me. I'm like, oh, my God, I got coffee in my face. And we go to, you know, I'm trying to help her up and get the door off of her. And it felt like there was like a 400-pound weight on the door. Oh my and God. we're like, we couldn't get the door off. And all of a sudden it freed up. And it was like oh. one of these really cheesy doors that you can lift with like one hand, like a cardboard yeah. door. And I looked yeah. over at the investigator I was with. I was like, that just felt like there was like, like the door was like 400 pounds. He's like, that was really weird. 
And, you know, we sat down at a table and she's wiping her face off. And uh, all of a sudden we start hearing this growling noise, like a, like a big German shepherd is like under the table, the dining room table. And I'm like, you hear, you have a dog under there? She's like, no. And we're like looking and it's like this really loud, like this growl noise. I'm like, what the hell? And I stand up and things like start shaking in the corner. And we're like, oh my God, what the hell is going on? Dude, we don't even have a camera going or nothing. You know, we're just initially just talking with her. We're having all this activity going on. It was it was insane the amount of stuff that was going on. Did you get did they get anything on camera or just just didn't have it going? We were catching these light anomalies, sort of like you had caught at uh, the San Pedro haunting. These these light anomalies happening like during broad daylight, and these they would illuminate and move across the room, and it was crazy. It was totally crazy. Well, that's that's right, and it's interesting you said about the poltergeist activity in association with a creature or whatever it was with the glowing eyes because that's exactly also what happened in, in Point Pleasant. They said that they had a lot of poltergeist types of activity, you know, the, the object, movement of objects and, you know, shadow people, other things like that, and objects moving themselves. And, uh, and as, like you said, strange lights, strange uh, orbs of light and stuff like that. So it's it's got to have some kind of a connection some kind of a tie-in to it yeah know? it's weird and, and you know i had a lot of cases through the years that were almost similar to the same thing they seen these black things with red eyes i had another case in effort of pennsylvania where the kid was seeing this black thing with red eyes and it was changing sizes like, kind of like sh- you know shift shaping and the mother thought maybe the kid was having you know psychological issues so one night she stayed in his room and sure enough, she wakes up around three o'clock in the morning to this really foul stench, and a uh, and it's cold in the room. And as she looks up, there's this figure. She said it almost looked like Bigfoot, but wow. there's this figure that's like seven foot tall. It's all the way to the ceiling, and she said it looks it's black. It has hair, and it has glowing red eyes, and it's staring down at her. She said I was so scared that I she couldn't move. And uh, I actually, she said it it disappeared. It disappeared, but as it was slowly disappearing, like like just like losing its uh you know its its abilities, and it just kind of just started evaporating to nothing. She said the last thing that went away was the eyes, these glowing red eyes, was the last thing that disappeared. And I did capture this black stuff on video, uh for like approximately 15 minutes appearing and disappearing, kind of like creating itself. And then it would just dissipate into nothing. It would move across the room, like grow real small, real small. And it was going to a closet area. It was coming in and out of a closet back across the room back. It was, it's amazing. Best video I've ever caught for paranormal wise. That's a video you actually caught on, on, on your video camera then. Yeah, I caught it on a DVR system. Yeah. Wow. Yep. It's, it's interesting, John, you mentioned it. Have you been watching any of this, uh, this series? Uh, I think it's on the Travel Channel. I saw a few of the episodes. Uh, Expedition Bigfoot or something? Yes, yes. There was a, it was a sighting they had of a tall creature. They've been looking for the Bigfoot thing. I forget. I don't know if. I don't think it was Northern California. I forget where it was. I think the last episode I saw, they were in Northern California, but they were finding some interesting things. But there was, I, I don't know, I'm not sure where it was, but they 
were in some remote area, and I think it was on an IR camera. I don't, I don't know if it was thermal vision. I think it was IR, as I recall. They had a, a, they spotted a really tall creature, and they got it on camera. Is what you said. It just looked like it dissolved, like a lemon drop, you know, dissolving away into nothing, you know, like just disintegrating. And uh, that was interesting to me. It tells you, <laughs> it was like. You know, what is Bigfoot? You know, what is that whole thing about? So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I know when I were, I, I had seen these light anomalies as we were there. She had told me she had seen this black, the you know, the Bigfoot looking thing, and you know, she seen it look like a kid. All these different, you know, things, and like she seen it as a mist too, like this black mm-hmm. mist in her bedroom. So I said, well, "Where you see, you know, where you see it?" And she's like, "It comes out of this closet." She said, "We can never keep this closet door shut. It always opens on its own." She said, I don't oh. care what time of day it is. She said, if I shut that, I'll come back. It'll be open. So it was open when we were there. She said, I just leave it open because I hate coming up knowing I shut it and it's open. So I said, well, I'm going to stick a camera there. I, I put a camera all the way to the back of the wall, shooting oh toward God. that closet to the doorway. And I'm not kidding you. I walked out of the room. I was out of the room maybe two or three minutes. I went downstairs to talk with her and this stuff. Yeah. Uh, starts appearing at the closet door. Uh, it oh, wow. it's nothing, and all of a sudden there's a, a black mass creating itself, right. and it it blocks out the uh, the door jam. You can't see the door jam any, door jam anymore. It's like creating mass, and yeah. and all of a sudden it's just it just collapses into itself, and it's gone. I'm like, you know, oh, we didn't see it at the time. We, I didn't even know it was happening because I was downstairs. But we were seeing light anomalies in the kitchen as this is going on. Uh, we, me, the the homeowner, and another investigator seen a a ball of light uh, that was green going across the top of the ceiling. Then it turned red and zipped up into the ceiling. Like I'm just like, whoa, what the hell? Did, I thought I was the only one seeing it. They were like, what was that? I was like. I have no idea what that was. I've never seen anything like that in my life. You know, it yeah. was really weird. It, wow. it was a strange house. And it's just a really weird area where they live. It's part of the uh, cloisters, which was like a cult, like yeah. a religious cult. Uh, yeah. And that's where their house was kind of like built on was this property that the cloisters owned. Wow. It, it, really weird uh, location. And they still live there. And they're still having phenomena. They're still seeing the black thing. I don't know how they live there. I wouldn't. It's I wouldn't still going there. on now. Then. It's still happening, yeah. I'm actually set to go back there and investigate. And that was over 12 years ago when that happened. Wow. That's still yeah. like quite a bit of, a bit of time gone by then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I actually stay really close friends with all my clients because a lot of the cases that I've done, you see stuff on TV and they, oh, yeah, this we had a blessing and we got rid of it. Yeah. That's all crap, man. Like that's just, that's not how it is. You know, you don't get rid of these things. They don't just go away. It just doesn't happen like that. When, you know, somebody just throws a a blessing around and it just goes away. It doesn't happen like that. That's right. You know, this this phenomenon is totally unpredictable. Oh, it really is. It it really is. And, uh, uh, you know, my, my current girlfriend, uh, Melody, uh, I met her on a haunting a few years ago, and um, she and I have been living together for two years now. And um, uh, the reason I met her is because I was brought in on an investigation. And, and are you still paranormal had, investigating? 
Sir, what's that? Are you still doing paranormal investigations? Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't done as much stuff in the field lately. Uh, I've been putting together this video this past year, but but uh, with uh, Melody, uh, my house is haunted now. It's, um, you know, the entity case, that's why we were investigating her out in Seam Valley. She lived out there at a home. And um, the, uh, remember the movie, The Entity, that Taft worked on? Uh, he, you know, it was his case, him and Perry Gaynor's case. And the woman said she was, uh, you know, raped and that kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. That's a creepy movie. Yeah, you know, Melody's had those things happen. And I've, ca- I've captured it on uh, infrared camera here. And we've had lights moving around. And you can see the sheet, the bed sheet pulsing on top of her sometimes. Oh, wow. And one night he appeared. I mean, when I say he appeared, I mean it's this thing appeared, and she caught it with her cell phone. Uh, she's always taking pictures with her cell phone, but she has that live view function, I guess, where it'll take two seconds of video with every time she snaps a, a yeah. picture. Um, so one night she goes, "Oh wow, look at this! You know, oh my God, what is that or something?" And uh, it lit something lit up the whole. Uh, you know, part of the uh, front door area where right, right where you go into the from the front door to the living room that area, and uh, and on the video I, I slowed it down just pink light. It looks like a pink source of energy of some kind. It's got a long tail on it. And then you talked about you talked about the smoke. Uh, it, it doesn't like religious music, so we did an experimentation. Here one night, uh, this is last year, and we tried playing Ave Maria on a, uh, on the YouTube, you know, off the YouTube on the, on the television set in the living room. And right after we did that, this brownish mist came into the house and wafted around the house. I got, we got a whole thing on infrared camera. Oh, wow. I'd love to see that. Yeah, and again, lights, you know, like you mentioned lights, that's, that's part and parcel of these hauntings is that most of the time, they generate some kind of light phenomenon. Yeah, as they in, do. As, it, as in San Pedro. And it was moving. They moved all around the bedroom. And, and uh, you know. And then one, I mean, we have a camera set up outside in the driveway. You can see the front of the driveway at night. I live up in a wooded area. And um, you could see this object come in to view. And I... I'm not trying to be facetious, but you know, like Casper the Ghost, you know that whitish kind of. It looked like it had a white head, and, and it had a body that almost looked like a sheep, but it's not. And it looks, but it's it it flew right up past the camera, and that's the only time I think I've seen that particular thing. Although there was a one that that I picked up out here by the pool area at night. There was another camera out there, and there was a a smaller. Uh, entity or something that showed up on camera and it looks similar to that but not quite but it was similar to that it could have had a tail too but it's it moved pretty fast i'll have to take a look at that again but yeah the stuff's going on here that's <laughs> so, that's crazy so again like uh, it follows the lady and the entity or spider and it's followed melody and it's still going on here uh, it goes in spurts but she has stuff that will bother her a lot of times at night, uh, almost every night, really. But I'll be sleeping. I, I have no idea what's going on. I don't feel anything a lot of times. We have filmed the bed sheets moving up, puffing up, 
you know, I got on two camera angles one night. Not that we film every night, but uh, we have caught a lot of phenomena. But they leave bruises on and stuff like that. It's just, it, it is really, it, it could be borderline demonic or something like that. Yeah, it's it's, it's eerie. It's really eerie. Yeah. I mean, the lady in Africa that seen you know where I captured the black the black mist. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. She she was attacked. Uh, actually, was thrown down her steps, and uh, I was working out of town, and she has my cell phone, and she called me like frantically, like. John, I just got thrown down the stairs. I mean, she was really freaking out. I'm like, you might want to think about leaving the house, but I don't know if this this thing's going to follow you or it's not because she's had kind of like paranormal things happen her whole life. And I was like, I said, this stuff, you know, it's like that. Like uh, Dr. Taff has said, you know, he's like, these things are connected to an individual. It's not so much a, a location. It's the individual that's producing the phenomena and, and and it's associated, you know, they're associated with the phenomena itself, kind of like they're producing it. And uh, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's one theory. Yeah, they they can sometimes. They definitely do like to attach to people. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I like the San Pedro case that you you did. Uh, I think I read on there. I actually seen that the, one of your photographers was actually hung in the attic of that place, which was insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see the? I, I actually I wrote a book on that. I don't know if you read the book, but I wrote a book on that years ago. And then there was a video I put out years ago. It was on Sci-Fi Channel, and it's called "An Unknown Encounter: um, A True Account of the San Pedro Haunting." It's the same name of the book that I wrote in 2009. It came out. And uh, now Jeff Wheatcraft, uh, have you met him or talked with him yet? No. I have not. No, I've I've tried. To- to find out, uh, find where he was, but I couldn't really find him on any social media. Uh, I can uh, hook you up with him. I haven't talked to him for a while, but I'll I'll, I'll look up his number. I could text it to you or something. Oh, uh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, he's uh, well, he's was working at a Disney. He might be retired now. I'm not real sure. Uh, he not at Disney Studio. He was out at um the theme park, uh, uh California Adventure. That's like an adjunct to the the main uh, theme park that, you know, the original theme park. And he was uh, doing uh, some kind of engineering work or something like that. He also did, uh, he was a still photographer when I met him. And I met him uh, out here in California. I had just moved out here in, uh, I moved in, uh, moved out to Southern California in 86. And uh, from, uh, well, I've, I've been living in Denver, working at Intelligent News there. And, uh, we were working on a short film over at, at Disney, at the Disney studio. It was um, with uh, Alan Young, who used to do a show called Mr. Ed about a talking horse. And, um, oh, yeah. I remember and, Mr. Ed. <laughs> yeah, remember, yeah, remember that show? Oh, oh yeah. Guy, with the guy, Alan Young. He just passed away a few years ago. He's a great guy. Um, and then we had Karen Black, who also has passed away. People passing away. And... Um, I like all the older shows more than I do the newer shows. <laughs> I stay up watching old, like me TV, watching all the old shows. I'm the same way, and uh, I like stuff like my favorite Martian and all. That oh shows. my god, yeah! I just bought the like whole uh, box set of In Search of with Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> oh my god, yeah! Oh my god, I love those shows. Yeah, the whole set was like twenty four bucks. I seen it on Amazon. I was like, I got to get it. I've been watching it since I got it last week. <laughs> yeah. There's a really good, 
episode, and I don't know who they had a really good psychic in one of them. They were in a in a uh, with Hans Holzer, who, who wrote a lot of books. He's passed. Oh yeah. Bit. Yep. And uh, it was in a place in New England. I remember seeing one about. Uh, I can't think of of, of uh, what where, I think. It, I want to say it was Maine somewhere in Maine, but there was a house that was being haunted by uh, by a uh, uh, a person who um, I think it was a woman, and they see her apparition. There were two young ladies living there. And uh, and she would they see her staring out the window and she she dissipate and stuff, and they had a psychic that uh, who Hans Holter had brought in and she was really nailing it you know she was coming up with information just like she was almost talking to it communicating with it on a telepathic level of some kind and and she, and they they checked out all this information she said well it was a person whose husband went to sea and. He was lost at sea, and it was his wife. And she put, she put names together and places and dates and names of ships. And it all panned out when they uh, did the historical research. But if you see that one, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It was definitely in search of. Oh, I, I love that show. In search of ghosts, I think. You know, one of the episodes is search of ghosts. I think one of that. Sometimes they would run several different episodes and stuff. But, but yeah, but. Uh, I I I, uh, I thought that was a great show. Yeah, oh, and, definitely. Uh, so in the in the in the San Pedro case, did did that stuff follow that that stuff followed you guys to your home, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So so Jeff and I had met on that movie set, as I said, Latin and Blonde, and then we became friends. And I had a production company, and uh, you know, small production company worked out of my home, and uh, I lived in Studio City. At that time, at the Hunga Avenue, and um, and so Taff had called me. I I worked with Taff on a couple of things, and not too much had happened really on a couple of cases. You know, I had always took my video camera with me, uh, and if, you know, being in the television business, I had a fairly good, big size camera at the time. And uh, and uh, Jeff uh, was a total skeptic, and I asked Jeff. If he wanted to go out to the San Pedro house that that uh, uh, Barry Taff had talked to me about, and he had gotten a call from uh, a lady named Susan Castaneda, and Susan was a neighbor friend of of Jackie, a lady named Jackie Hernandez, who was living in a little bungalow down there on 11th Street. It was 593 West 11th Street in San Pedro, and uh, there were there were two twin bungalows that if somebody's looking for that address, they may not even see it today because if you go down there, um, there's another house in front of it, and uh, these two twin bungalows sit behind this, his, this other person's house. And uh, at the time, it was a guy named Michael Cooper who was the landlord, and uh, he's not there anymore. It's another owner now named Jesse Segala, and I think um, he said there's not a whole lot of activity. Last time I talked to him, was a whole lot of activity going on now, because he still rents a house. I doubt if he even tell, tells people that it's haunted. Now, I wonder if if uh, you had brought maybe yourself or or Jeff back to that location, would, would that activity pick back up or something like that? You know, that's a good question. I, I thought about doing that, but the thing is... Um, Okay, he was a he was a, a huge skeptic going into the case, and 
the after the uh, hanging incident happened, and you know all about that. And oh yeah, that's when he got hanged up and had it not killed, but another guy got him down. Gary Bame got pulled him down. He never stepped foot back in that house again. Really? Uh huh. Wow. Never stepped down. Now he he did go up to Weldon. When you said that the entity followed her, it did. It followed her up to Weldon. She moved up there. She had a temporary uh, transitory reconciliation with her ex-husband, Al, uh, who since passed away. And uh, his name was Al Hernandez. And, uh, and he, they used to go fishing, and uh, hiking and stuff up in an area called, um, I think it's up in the Lake Isabella area. It's up near Bakersfield. So um, he got her up there into a trailer home. And about five months, well, before that, they broke up again. He kind of, they had an argument. He left. And then she said she saw smoke come out of his head. He got real angry, almost like something was possessing him. And then uh, he left. And then um, she called me and other people were calling me. Uh, or, or They were on the phone when she was talking to me, I believe. And they said they had seen the apparition of an old man appear in a widescreen TV set that was unplugged. They were moving it into a storage shed. So I asked Jeff if he would accompany me back up there. Now, this you mean they seen it in the screen? Yeah, it was in a, you know, they had, she had a, someone had given her an old uh, widescreen television set in, uh, in 1990, I guess it was, or late 89. And, um, and they were moving it into a storage shed behind her property there. And this was in broad daylight with a guy named Jim Silcott, who's since passed on, um, and his wife, I can't think of her name, or Janice, I think her name was Janice. Janice, Janice Silcott. And they saw this image, kind of the same thing that Jackie had described in the original house in San Pedro. She said she saw a desiccated-looking old man that would sit on the bunk bed in a children's bedroom, and then she also saw that entity sitting at a kitchen table chair in the little kitchen. And she had a day bed, you know, up, off, right off of the uh, kitchen in the dining room area. And she said it lasted, it lingered there before it disappeared for about five minutes or so. Wow. And just stared at her. And it looked like a corpse, looked like a living corpse. Oh, my God. Her. Yeah, pretty scary stuff. Well, like I said, Jeff was... Um, very skeptical the first night when he went down there. Well, when both of us went down there, it was August 8th, 89. And um, we went in and Taft met us down there and he had a friend of his there named Larry Brooks. And uh, so Jeff and I went down and we checked it out. But again, uh, I'll never forget, Jeff was so skeptical. Uh, he went along because I asked him, because I said, I said well, you know, you're really good photographer maybe you can catch something he goes yeah right because i don't buy any of this stuff so <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was so skeptical and uh so the uh uh she had told us jackie told us that that she has also seen another as uh, second apparition of a disembodied head in the attic crawl space and uh this is august 8th 89 like i mentioned and uh so we talked to her, and she, she, her girlfriend Susan was there, and she had seen a lamp fly off a table, kind of typical poltergeist type stuff. And Chrissy Zivkovic had seen things and heard noises in the attic. And uh, 
Jackie had one at one time had stuck her head up there, you know, uh, just peered into the crawl space because someone found money in their attic that she was telling me about. And so she's, oh, maybe there's money up in my attic. Somebody left yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, instead of money, she saw a disembodied head floating towards her, you know. And it was a rather large-looking head, like very corpulent features. She sort of like it reminds you of like Alfred Hitchcock, you know, image or something. Oh yeah, yeah. that kind of a face, you know. And uh, and it disappeared, but she she uh, screamed, and you know she it was kind of she wasn't able to move. She had a, a you know she was separated from her husband at the time, and she had two small children. She had a baby girl, and she had a little boy, three, and. Um, and so Jeff and I went up, uh, went down there, and we met with Taff, and we talked with her. And then Jeff went up to the attic because I asked him to just check it out. And he, he went up there, and, and uh, it was about maybe uh, 10, 10.30 at night. And, um, and at that point, I hadn't even brought in video equipment yet because I thought, well, you know, it seemed very quiet. You know, as you know, not always – does anything happen? So I thought, well, if anything does happen, then I'll bring the camera in. Well, boy, did it happen. So Jeff went up in the attic uh, first, and he crawled up there. And he um, was taking some photos, thinking, we thought, well, maybe I'll pick up something with, the ca- with this Canon uh, 35 millimeter. And uh, so I think um, he came down. He took a few shots, and he came down. And uh, and he said that he felt a little queasy up there. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, oh, I, I, he says, you know, it's like, is this something were lurking behind me? I felt like I was being watched. And, she, and he says, I guess all these stories are getting to me. You know, all the stories he's hearing about ghosts and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of wigging him out a little bit. Yeah, a little freaked out psychologically, I think. So um, he, I think Larry Brooks asked him, well, where did where did you feel like you're being watched? He says, like, there's something behind me, you know? So, so he went back up, uh, Larry says, why don't you go up and take a few pictures over your shoulder, you know? So he went back up and he obliged us and he went up and he was taking a few pictures and he was into his third frame, uh, shot, you know, and he was squeezing off the trigger. And at that point, something grabbed the camera out of his hands. Oh, wow. Yeah. He let out a, a scream or a shout or something and, or a groan. And he comes bolting down from the attic crawl space, and he said something. You know, his, his hands were outstretched, and shaking like a leaf, and, and the, all the color got out of his skin. He was he was looking pale as a ghost itself, you know. Yeah. And, and he said, he, "We asked him what happened. He says, oh, my God!' He said something. Just the camera just pulled out of my hand. I said, well, did you feel anybody brush up against you?' He said, "No, no. The camera just jerked out of my hand. I remember that." So I said, well, hang on. I went out, got my camera and my video. It was an Ikigami 730 camera and a, a three-tube camera back then. It's not really good in the light, but you gain it up. Noisy, not like the chip cameras they have today. It was really good today. But he went up. Uh, I went up. He went up. He found the body of the camera lying face down in a little uh, crate up there. It was on the other side of the attic. We well, hadn't even been all the way over across that attic, so we knew he couldn't have done it. Because when he went up, he, we, we could kind of see him up there, you know, in the dark, but you could still see him from a little bit of the spill light coming from below. And so, uh, 
and uh, he found the lens uh, lying uh, courtside up, I believe, behind the trap door. And he was amazed at that. He put the lens back on the camera. It wasn't damaged. It was just like it hit the button on the camera to unlock the lock. Wow. You know, you twist the lens on and off. And so... That's kind of a hard uh, thing to do in the dark, you know? Hard thing to do in the dark, exactly. And then uh, the weird thing... I had a weird thing happen right away. I I would, I was rolling as I went up. I had to hand my... It was kind of a bulky camera. I handed the video camera up. I kept the camera rolling in the hopes that we would catch something. And then I crawled up there. We had to stand on a washing machine in that laundry room. And then I got out a couple, like... Uh, milk crates or something, we were able to hoist ourselves into the attic, and then um, when I got up there, he handed the camera back off to me, and I was rolling, and as I was rolling, I didn't see anything, but uh, the camera suddenly uh, neutralized. It just kicked out, you know, it just shut off, shut down, and it's interesting because these were big batteries. They were 14-volt batteries that are put out by Anton Bauer and are real professional uh, expensive batteries, you know, they run the camera for a long time. And I, I, I charged up all the batteries. I keep them in a, in a porter brace bag. And so I, I said, give me another battery. And they handed me up another battery. I think Larry did and uh, put it back on and still no, uh, no response from the camera. It was dead on the doornail. And then the, I noticed that the little uh, pilot light where you turn the camera on, well, it would always turn on because it would have a little green light. So you know that you were on, and and if it was going out, you would get a red flashing pulsing light. But that would pulse for several minutes before it would completely go out. And even I didn't get anything. But when we came down out of the attic, uh, the camera suddenly was back on, and that's how I was able to get footage. I shot footage of you can hear some scraping sounds, and there were, we heard footsteps and things of that nature once we came down. But when I was coming down, uh, I went down first. Uh, as we left the attic, I'm looking back for Jeff, and he's um, he's coming down face first. I mean, I could see his head, and he's uh, he's looks like he's got a very perplexed, uh, strained look on his face. And I said, Jeff, what's wrong? Or he he wouldn't say anything. And as he got all the way down, he looked like he was out of breath. And I said, What's happening? And he he said, I I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't uh, look behind me. I said, why not? He said, because I was afraid to look behind me for what I might see. So there was something as he came down through the crawl space, pressing in on his back like a large bony hand. That's how he described it. Ooh. Pressing, pressing, pressing on his back. Good and, God. And then my camera came back on it, and then I was able to videotape, you know, uh, doc- document what was going on in the and if you see if you saw that documentary Unknown Encounter, you probably saw that footage. But you'll see uh, Jeff's reaction. You know, he was pretty brave though, because he was he was very curious, because he wanted to to see what was what was going on. What it what it him a little later on. He did um, stand on the milk crates again and look and peer in. He never went, he didn't go back up there, but he was able to get high enough where he could peer back in there. And he, from the spill light below, he saw. It would look like a large black mass moving back and forth. As if you put three human beings under a, a black tarp or a black sheet or something like that. Yeah. And I've seen them. They, 
I've seen them on more than one occasion. Uh, probably, like, I've seen these black things like four times over the years. Uh, and they were, they're quite scary if you come real close to one. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I ran a place that was uh, a Civil War plantation in Urbana, Maryland, in Frederick. And it's a part of, uh, it was a stronghold for the Confederacy during the Battle of Antietam. Uh, the bloodiest day in American history, and oh yeah, was it near Fredericksburg? You said Fredericksburg. It was in uh, in Frederick, Maryland, which was oh, Frederick, Maryland. Yeah, not far from uh, Antietam, and oh yeah, you're right. That was the bloodiest day, wasn't it? For the number of deaths, I think. Yeah, yeah, and this place was insanely haunted. I mean, a lot of intelligent haunting going on in there. Like one night, I used to just walk. I ran that place for the owner. Probably like seven years, I would do just tours of the place and stuff like that, and right. do the history of of you know the soldiers that stayed there. I mean, okay. Jeb Stewart, you know, Jeb Stewart was there. Almost every famous Confederate general was at the Landon House, and it's called the Landon House. And uh, beautiful place. I mean, gorgeous. Everything's original to the time inside. It's an awesome place, but extremely haunted. Nothing really oh. bad. But it liked to interact with you, and it would talk. You would hear disembodied voices and light it on with shadow figures. And you know, the first time I ever seen a shadow figure was there. Um, I was doing a tour with some people late at night, and everybody had left. I was the last one there, closing up, and uh, I was make sure I was the last one because I was responsible for locking up. Oh, yeah. So everybody was gone. It's around four in the morning. And, you know, I'm just sitting there getting my stuff together and go to lock the last door. And I step out on the porch and there's a shadow figure. It's looking in a window, one of the windows on the front porch. And I, I'm like looking at this thing. And it's maybe only 15 feet away. And I'm like looking at it and I kind of made an advance, like move my foot on the deck of the porch. And the porch creaked and it turned and it looked at me. It didn't have any wow. facial features. It was just black, like blacker than the night. And it scared the hell out of me. I, I know I hear a lot of people say, oh, I went running right at it. Bullshit. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have been running at it because it scared the hell out of me. I'm like, I'm just standing there like, what is getting ready to happen? Like, this thing is looking at me. I'm looking at it. And it just, it went the other way. It just took off really fast, like, phew, the other way. And left like a, a residual smoke, I want to say, you know, like a cloud almost. And it was just dissipated into nothing. It was gone. And I was did just. You say, did you pick up some footage of that you said a little bit or not? No, I didn't. I didn't have anything. I was wrapping up for the end of the night. I was just going home. It was like four in the morning. And it was just, I was amazed. I was like, I can't believe I've just seen that. Like, did I really just see that? Like, it was amazing. You know, I oh just couldn't explain it. I'm like, wow. That that would make sense uh, if any place should be haunted would be like Gettysburg and Antietam Battlefield. Oh my God, this place was uh, insanely haunted. I mean, what I used to walk through there and just whistle Dixie just to see if I would get a response because it was a Confederate, you know, stronghold. And sure enough, you know, one night I was whistling uh, Dixie. And I hear a response from the other end of the mansion. And I'm like, what the hell was that? I was the only one in there. And I was like, 
what the hell was that? There's somebody whistled back. Well, luckily, I had, luckily, I had recording devices out. I had them out stationed out throughout the place, and I said, man, I had a recorder down there. I know I captured that. So I went home, and I'm listening to it, and there's the whistle. I hear it, and it's, it's, it's this whistle. It's not Dixie. It's someone else whistling a tune. And I, I, I marked that tune in my head. I said, when I go back there, I'm going to whistle that tune, and I'm going to see what happens. And I'm not kidding you, Barry. I whistled that tune, and in the next room over, it whistled it back. And I captured it on a recording. I'm like, oh, my God, dude. It's like, that's, I said, maybe it's an echo, because the place is huge. So I'm like, whistling yeah. different stuff to see if I get an echo return. Nothing. I whistle that tune again. It whistles it back. I'm like, oh, my God, this is insane. I've never had anything interacting with me like that. You know, like. It was interacting with you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It liked that tune, just that tune. It would only whistle that tune. And I have it on three or four different recordings of, of me whistling it, and it whistling it back right right in right in return. Unbelievable. It'd be interesting to find out what that tune was. Was it some tune that maybe somebody would recognize, you know? I, yeah, I had tried to get one of, like, old music and try to listen to what that tune was, but I could never find what it was. It was just like... Uh, it was like a tune like <laughs> that was the tune. It wow. it loved that tune. I'll never get that tune out of my head ever because it loved that tune. Hang on to that recording. <laughs> oh, I have it. I I have like several uh it did it in front of a lot of people too. Like I had like six or seven people with me one night and I whistled it and it did it right behind me on the stairwell. Yeah. And they were like, Oh my god, everybody's like, Oh my god. We were just it was they were like blown away, you know, <laughs> such an, I mean, when you have something like that happens, you know, it's just an amazing thing that you're, you're hearing a voice yeah. come out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, you know, did you ever watch the show? My ghost story. Oh yeah. I was a, one of the co-creators of that show. I was going to, I was going to come on that show. Actually, Landon house was on my ghost story. Oh, were they really? Yeah. Kevin Dolan uh, was the owner of Landon house. He was on my ghost story. They made a uh, filmed him, uh, so he was on there. They made a film. I was on the road a lot. I did the first two pilots. I was supervising producer on the first two pilots, and uh, and then they I was out shooting uh, episodes for them for the first season, and uh, and uh, I I don't know that those those shows are now on Roku. If you get Roku Stick, you know, use a Roku Stick. Yeah, yeah. You can watch all those shows, and uh, but the first two pilots that we did, which really is what sold the, they aired, and that's what sold the series. I don't think they're on that, that series. We had the San Pedro case on uh, the first one, I think. And um, I love the whole set of it with the, the the chair, and that was just cool. Yeah, I, I lit that background. I did a lot of the camera work. I did a lot of studio stuff, but then again, I was on the road too, shooting for three months. But there was a Gettysburg case, and I was in a place called California City, Pennsylvania, I think. Um, I've heard of that. Near, yeah, near Pittsburgh, I think. Yeah. The guy picked up his, his mother's spirit uh, floating down the hallway or something, but there was a guy, and I, I feel bad. I don't remember the guy's name. You know, I know he's passed on really super nice guy he was at gettysburg with his family with his wife and i believe maybe his daughter i don't think it was a big family just a daughter i think 
but they were there at dusk. And I don't know what what section of Gettysburg they were at, but obviously there were battles all over the place going on. Um, and he's got, if you saw that footage, you can see transparent soldiers on horseback. I know exactly where that's at. That is in that's Triangle Field. Triangle Field. I think that's it. Yeah. Yes. I actually yeah. seen something exactly like that, Barry, in Triangle Field with another investigator. That must be a hot spot. For it is. There's yeah. a stone wall there, and we seen something white go over that stone wall, and we were like, really? what in oh. the hell was that? It was a brief second, but we were like, what the hell was that? And we were like, I was like, you seen that? He's like, yeah. I said, it was white, right? He's like, yeah. And it was in the fall, and all the leaves yeah. had fell off the trees, and it you could hear the squirrels running through, but there was no noise. It was yeah. dead silent. We well, were. It. it was creepy. If any place is going to be haunted, that's another one. That place, like you mentioned, Antietam, that would fill the bill. Oh, my God. Gettysburg. That's where I first started doing paranormal investigations was Gettysburg on the battlefield. And well, we, gave, we captured some stuff on the battlefield. Pretty awesome place. Oh, I gave a talk there once about 11 years ago, and it was, uh, I think, uh, the most people I've ever run into. I, I forget. It was some kind of paracon there. Phenomenology. But, uh, yes. You were, were you there at that, yes. At that event? Yes. Well, yep. I was there, I want to say, 2010 or 11. Yep, I was there. I gave a talk, I gave a talk with, I think, Barry Taft was there. Yeah. Matter of fact, I talked to Dr. Taft there. When, that's when his book was coming out, uh, Aliens Above, Ghosts Below. Yeah, I, yes, and I, I, I think, let's see, 2011, yeah, I would have had my book there probably, there was a place where, you know, I was signing books, I think. It yeah, it's in the, uh, in the convention room right there where everybody had the tables set up. Yeah, I was right yeah. there. Yeah, I sat there and talked to Dr. Taft for like two hours about the entity case, because <laughs> I was like, uh, as a kid, I seen the entity movie, and, you know. That was like really fascinating to me as a kid. Why that was actually one of the creepiest movies I've ever watched in my life. Uh, yeah, besides The Exorcist, that was top two. You know. Oh yeah, The Exorcist is one of my all-time favorites. We know the Entity uh, case. Uh, when I did, I produced a show, a documentary. It was on Sci-Fi Channel. It aired in uh, 2003, and it was called California's Most Haunted. And I did a whole segment about you know with. Taft and uh, about the entity case, and I got to interview um, uh, Frank De Felita, who wrote the book. Wrote the book, yeah. And Frank, you know, Frank's passed away now. But he was a director too. He had directed some horror films. I think he, I think he did one about a, a Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Is that ring about? He did Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Yes, yes. Yeah, Frank was a really a talented guy. Um, he lived into his later years, and uh, and. Uh, he was, uh, you know, obviously, he, I think he wrote, I believe he wrote the screenplay, too, for the movie. And and Taft and Carrie Gaynor were consultants on the film. And two yes, of the characters, yep. Gene Kraft, I believe, is the guy's name in the film. Yes, yep. They, they, they changed Taft's name to Kraft, yeah. And the other guy was Carrie Gaynor. I think Carrie Gaynor is still around. But, uh, but Frank was a really wonderfully talented uh, writer. Uh, I thought the book... Uh, but you guys had like a screenplay screenplay written of uh, the San Pedro haunting, right? They, I think they were trying to make that to into a movie well, at one time, right? Well, there was a there was a person that did write a screenplay 
uh, on it, but I don't think it ever went anywhere. I didn't really, wasn't involved with it. But um, just recently, uh, I was contacted from uh, by a gentleman from Spain just this, this past few days. Um, there's a company in Spain, it's called Dynamo Films. They're interested in doing a, I don't know if it's a film or a series they're talking about doing about that. Um, that would be awesome. On my list of, of people to contact tomorrow to do follow up on that. But so there might be something coming down the pike. Yeah, sure. That would be awesome because that's a hell of a case. I mean, it's one of the most documented cases of, of highly active poltergeist activity. You know, it's, it was that oh. case. Yeah, thank you. It was a, it was a, uh, it was definitely a watermark case. Uh, you know, to, to have, like you had mentioned about being followed. Yeah, I was followed by it, and and we had all those things happen in an apartment I had at that time in Studio City, and and Jackie was followed three or four times, and uh, and uh, you know, you know, at first when when um, when this was all going on, that you know, she didn't really. I think she was just scared. And she didn't think to take pictures. And I said, "Well, I can't be down here all the time." Uh, and so, uh, Norca Taff, and so I said, uh, "I'm going to buy you a little point shoot camera." And and she got pictures in the in the um, kitchen one night, August 28th, uh, '89. There's like, do you remember those little cloud-like things? It looked like one of them looked like it's splitting apart, like a like like a cell would divide. Yeah, and, yeah. Yep, I just see it. Well, she got those pictures with a flash camera. And then the third time she had moved, um, she got a few things up in Weldon, but she moved back to San Pedro, always trying to get away from this thing. And when she went back, uh, she got an apartment, and uh, I picked it up. Uh, she was sitting on the floor in broad daylight. There was a psychic lady there named Noni Pagat, and, and I was filming her, and she, was, and she would always tell me, you know, it's here. I know it's here. And I didn't see anything, but when we look back on the video, I got a shot of lights, like a, well, there was like a, I call it the peapod light. It's like three little peapods, but they're white. And it, this object flies into my frame and dissipates for a frame, or dissipates for a fraction of a frame. It just, you know, I mean, it just like disappeared, then reappears. I guess in the next frame is what it would have been, yeah. And then you can see it traverse across the screen out of frame, and then, she got pictures with that little point and shoot camera at dawn one morning in, uh, I believe it was in, uh, July, I think it was in July or something, of 1990, I believe. And uh, she got these lights above the floor. They looked like grapefruit. And they were, uh, she took a couple with a flash and then the flash didn't work. And then she got these big glowing lights and they're projecting light onto the carpet, but wow. not against the back wall really odd because as much light as they were generating it should have affected the back it was a actually not a wall but it was a, a a white sliding door bedroom closet in her baby's bedroom so so uh, all of that was going on but there were lights and then um, and like i said jeff uh never went back he did uh, he did go down i think he might have gone down to weldon but i think i'm not positive i have to think back on that he never went back to the original house. He was so scared after that. That, well, when that hanging happened, Gary had to get him down, and Gary was skeptical. Gary's an old high school buddy of mine from Ohio, and Gary is still around. Gary's back in Hamilton, Ohio, where I'm from originally, and he's still back there. I see him whenever I go back. 
And uh, he was pretty skeptical when all that happened. He was very brave, too, because he he took – do you remember right after uh, Jeff was hanged? Okay, I'm below the attic. I'm down in the laundry room talking to these ladies. And it, when we went down there, it was pretty quiet. And they go up, and they're looking around, and Jeff wanted to show Gary where the camera had been pulled out of his hands the first night. And then, um, you know, suddenly, you know, all hell broke loose. You know, we heard a noise, and I heard a, a three snapping, a three finger snaps. Me and oh, my Jeff. God. Yeah, that's weird. I've heard that before. Me and the two ladies heard it, yeah. Yeah, three snaps. I think it's just something trying to get your attention or scary or something. And then Jeff, I've had that. Yeah, I've had that happen before. It's, it's quite alarming. Yeah. So you've had the same thing, the snapping fingers thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, one of the first cases I ever did uh, was referred to me as uh, my, was my brother's girlfriend's mother. She had been smacked by something in the house, an unseen force. And uh, they had just bought this house and they moved yeah. out. And uh, they told me the room that, that happened in. So I went into that room. The house was empty, no no power on, no water, everything was shut off, no furniture in the house. I mean, there was another investigator, and I hear these, I'm like, just asking a standard EVP question, is there something, somebody in here wants to communicate or something, you know, something like that, and I hear this, in my ear, three times exactly like that, and when that happened, the shoe rack, there was, there was one shoe rack on the door. It lifted up off the door and slammed down behind me. I mean, it scared the hell out of me. I jumped up. <laughs> I turned around, and that thing was swinging on the door, and it was a big shoe rack. I looked at my buddy. I was like, oh, my God. I said, I can't believe that just happened, right? I mean, we were only in there like five minutes, oh, and this yeah. happened, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. But this snapping noise, we kept hearing it in the house. Like, everywhere we went, it was like it followed us, and you hear this. And I'm like, what the hell is this, dude? The snapping noises, man. It's like someone snapping in your ear, like pop, pop, pop. That's so John, weird. You said that. Did you catch, did you catch any of the camera or with the audio at all? And it had an attic. And oh, yeah, we did catch it. And uh, we caught this banging in the attic. Uh, Don actually went up into the attic. And I was like, man, I don't know if you should go up in the attic because they were hearing noises too. Like furniture was moving around in the attic. And it was wow. one of those ones where you had to pull down the ladder. To go up into okay. it, and yeah, you know we're 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 hearing these loud thumping noises in the attic, and we're like, dude, there's something in the attic. So we pull the ladder down, you know, and I'm like, I don't know if we should go up in there, man. I said, well, something happens. What the hell's, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. So you know, this is our first case as a, as a paranormal investigation team. We don't know what the hell we're really doing. We're just doing it, you know. And yeah, we go up into the attic and. There's nothing there. There's like a couple paint cans and a little roll of carpet. That's it. It's totally empty. And we set a motion sensor up there, like a doorbell motion sensor, and we leave. Well, as we're leaving, Don sets off the motion sensor, and we didn't hear anything at the time. But when we went back and we started listening, uh, the motion sensor goes off. It's one of those doorbell ones, ding, dong, and it goes off. And we hear a woman's voice come through the the motion sensor says, help me, please help me through the motion sensor. But we didn't hear it until we got home and listened to it. And we're like, holy shit, there's a woman saying, help me, please help me through the motion sensor. And he goes, how did we not hear that? I was like, I don't know. But then we were asking him to do things. Can you make a bang up here? And we were down 
on the first floor, and sure enough, it's boom. Like, he'd do it again, and then it's like boom, 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 boom. Like, there's, I'm like, what the hell is going on up there? There's nothing there. Really? Yeah. It was totally freaky, and Don's like, should we go back up there? I was like, I think we're pushing our luck if we go up there. Like, yeah, I, you don't want another San Pedro thing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, we've had so many cases like that with this addict thing. Um, we did a case right outside of, of Pittsburgh uh, in Newcastle. The little girl was sleeping in the attic. They had a, a walk-up attic. And this it's just so weird, the things that you're saying with the San Pedro. This girl seen a white face above hers in the attic. Yeah. Over top of hers while she was sleeping. She woke up, and there's a white glowing face above hers. And uh, she was so scared that she ran out of the attic, went down, ran down the stairs, knocked the TV over in her, her parents' room. And, uh, yeah, we went back and we investigated that case and we captured some really disturbing stuff. Um, we, we were on the, they had a Ouija board in the house and they said they used it. So, you know, as an investigator, I got to look at everything, you know, what's going on. Where's the Ouija board? I look at the Ouija board and we're looking at it. Now the, the family members are gone. Uh, we have the house to ourselves and as we're looking at it, there's stuff going on on the second floor that we're we're not we don't know what's going on, but our camera's catching it. And wow. this man's voice talks into the into the video camera, and it says, "I'll kill his kids." It says, "I'll kill his kids." Into the into the recorder, into the camera, and oh, yeah. the camera's not picking up anything visual, but it's capturing audio. And we captured it on three different devices in that hallway, and I'm like. We didn't hear anything until we went home and we started reviewing. And we're like, oh, my God, there's a man. My buddy calls me. He's like, dude, there's a man's voice in the camera saying I'll kill his kids. And there was only three of us in the house. And we were on the first floor, and it's catching it on the second floor. And, you know, I tell the client, I'm like, uh, you know, we we captured a voice in your house saying something's going to kill your kids. And I said, you you know, you might want to think about maybe moving. And the husband's a big guy, probably about six three, six four, big, real big guy. And he's like, I ain't worried about no goddamn ghost, man. Nothing's going to happen to me or my kids. So I'm like, I said, okay, well, so I'm just letting you know what we caught. We did catch something that was kind of disturbing. I've never had, uh, you know, something saying it was going to kill somebody's kids, and yeah. it's kind of kind of creepy, you know. And uh, get, two, malicious. yeah, two months later, I get a call from. From her, the mother, the daughter, they find the daughter dead in the attic. Mm. And uh, she's only 14 years old. And uh, I was totally disturbed by the whole thing. I mean, it was. Uh, 14 really, years old. She was 14 years old. And they find her dead in the attic from a, a parent heart attack. Oh. And uh, I'm just like, this is, I said, this is not, this is not a coincidence. There's no way this is a coincidence. You know, we get a voice saying it's going to kill his kids, and she dies two months later. Yeah. Uh, and just this, you know, we went back another, we, they wanted us to come back, so we went back again. And I have a guy in my group, uh, he's a total skeptic. I mean, a ghost would have to, like, literally dance on his head for him to believe it's a ghost. But, you know. <laughs> we take him in there. He's kind of like, you know, what your friends were. He's a total skeptic. 
and like what Jeff, what Jeff used to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, this happened. This thing happened to him. We we went back a second time, and when we went back, this thing didn't yeah. want us there at all. So oh, wow. I'm in the bathroom taking a leak. And, you know, I got the door shut. You know, this is a this is a pretty kind of private moment. You know what I mean? And I feel this air kind of come up on me. You know, like someone came in the room and I turned around and there's no one there. And I'm like, all right, so I'm just handling my business, you know. And all of a sudden, man, I hear this voice in my ear. Uh, yep. Creepiest, scariest voice. If you want to say demonic and say it was maybe sound like the exorcist voice, you know, from the movie. Right. And it said, uh, there are many, but I am one in this creepy voice. And uh, I'm telling you what, Barry, I couldn't get out of that uh, bathroom. <laughs> Fast enough. My ass jumped down those stairs. I jumped down about six stairs. Boom, down to the landing, down another four steps, out the door I went. Oh, and I, yeah. I sat out in my car for about 20 minutes. Those guys were still in the house. And they're like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to make a call. I ran right by them. And uh, <laughs> I never told them what happened. I didn't tell them because I didn't want to freak them out. So yeah. I thought what I did say was, I said, look, wherever you're at in the house, don't be alone. Have somebody yeah. with you. And because uh, I didn't know, I don't know what this thing is capable of doing. So yeah. I don't want to see anybody get hurt or even that killed by something that we really don't understand. And uh, oh, yeah. so. It's just like the hanging thing. I never knew an entity could hang you, but obviously they can. And if Jeff was very lucky because if Gary hadn't been there at that instant to pull that nail down, he, Gary has said on camera that he could have very well choked to death up there. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah, and, you know, just like that house, you know, I told him, don't be alone. And we're sitting there at the DVR system, and I think I was, like, changing out some batteries, and it was uh, Carl and another investigator were sitting side-by-side side looking at the DVR system, and they both look at each other, and they're like, what the hell was that? I'm like, what? And he's like, you didn't hear that yeah. voice? I'm like, I didn't hear anything. But they heard this <laughs> creepy-ass voice in between them. And I never told them that I just heard a voice in the bathroom that scared all the hell out of me. And uh, they they were just freaked out. And then all of a sudden, Carl is a pretty big guy. He's about six foot, about 280 pounds, 290. And the chair pulls away from the table with him sitting in it. It pulls him back okay. away from the table. Oh, my God. He jumped up. His eyes were big as, like, golf balls. He's like, oh, my God. I don't believe that just happened. I was like, he goes, I never thought anything like this could happen before, man. I'm like, it happened, that didn't it? Yeah, it got his attention, didn't it? <laughs> Made him a believer real quick, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It'll make it's you a believer. Point. Yeah, that's the thing with a lot of skeptics. You know, they just haven't had the experience, you know. So it's real easy for them to be skeptical about everything. But I always say, just keep you got to keep an open mind about everything. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, just like uh, that San Pedro case, if if that if your friend wouldn't have been there with, with – uh, Jeff, he he might not have survived that. Yeah, I mean, it, it very very well may not have. I don't know if you knew this, John. That yeah, now you know Jackie moved out, and and you know that, and it followed her, and this and that. But did you know that uh, another family moved out of that house? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, two thousand four. Wow. I was called down. I, now I wasn't doing an investigation. I was called down to that house by the local. Uh, I think it's a, the pilot newspaper, whatever they call their newspaper. I think it's called the pilot. And they were doing a story. It was a Halloween 
seasonal thing. They were doing a story. They wanted, they heard about the, the haunting, and they wanted to get my take on it. And they, and they said that we had a family here. Their name, her name was Rosara Luna, like the moon, L-U-N-A. Uh, it was her. I think she was married. I think she had a couple kids, and they they found their, all their dish dishes stacked up on the floor one night. They were hearing strange noises in the attic. They wouldn't go in their attic. They wouldn't. They, they did not go in. They refused to go in the attic. I don't. Wow. They were scared to, but they did a lot of weird things. They wound up moving out of the house. I, I put a picture, I believe, of her in the book that I wrote that came out in 2009. I believe it's in that book. And then it's interesting because we went up. And I, that's the only time I had returned to the attic because the photographer wanted to go up and get a few pictures of me in the attic. And uh, we went up there, and nothing paranormal happened, but the, his camera uh, didn't want to work at first. It, it, it refused to work. It finally did work, but it didn't want to work for a while. And then suddenly it just started working. We thought that was kind of odd. And I took a few photographs of um, when I was on the outside of the house. It had been repainted. It's been remodeled a little bit since we were there originally. But um, And I got, uh, see, back then, I think it was still a film camera. When I had a pictures developed. You could see, uh, excuse me, streaks of light. Streaks of light moving in daylight along the side of the house. Wow. Right, right right, on the side of the house in the front. So I thought, what's going on? And then when I got back here, I had taken a few shots for the Halloween season. I had some of my Halloween decorations up along the staircase. I just took a, took a few shots. On one of the wide shots, you can see a definite rod of light, glowing light, beam of light moving across. So, so I must have been followed a little bit that day. So something was still there, had the ability to follow, but it did chase out another family. That was in 2004. So you figure that's about 14 years after uh, Jackie had been there. Wow. I, I've had stuff follow me home uh, in investigations that I don't know which investigation it was, but I definitely had uh, yeah. something follow me home. It was uh, really eerie, too. Um, I think it's unnerving when it happens because you think yeah. you're going out investigating a haunted house and that's one thing but then when they follow you home that's a whole other thing yeah because now you, you they don't invaded your privacy as well and you're like yeah. what the hell man i'm yeah i'm laying in bed and like my daughter had spent the night at a friend's house this is me and my wife and my dog and uh, sure enough man about one o'clock in the morning i always leave my bedroom door shut and i hear three knocks on the bedroom door boom 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 and I, my wife's like Sits up, she's like, somebody's in the house. I'm like, oh, no. You know, I'm like, well, my dog's growling. Uh, the dog heard it. I heard it. My wife heard it. I'm like, oh, man, someone's in the house. So the dog is like full alert, hair up on his back. I'm <laughs> I'm freaking out. I'm like, I got an intruder in the house. I, I have a firearm. So I'm like, I get my firearm, and I'm like, I might have to use my firearm. You know, if someone's in my house. I'm going to have to defend my, my house. So I figure, well. I got the dog. I'm going to let the dog out. If someone's in here, they're probably going to shoot him first, and then I'm going to be able to take them out. So I, I open the door. Phew, he takes off. He's barking through the house. He's going nuts. He's running all over the place. I clear the whole house. There was no one there. The door was locked. We all heard the knocking, and uh, it happened for, like, about a month straight. I was hearing this these three knocking on the front door the back door, the window, you know, uh, even on my daughter's uh, room, she was hearing it and she was freaking out and uh, it, it just stopped. 
and my my wife had actually seen something in the driveway, uh, seen a figure in the driveway. I had a I have an enclosed trailer that I use for investigations when we we stage everything outside in, in an enclosed trailer, and she said, "You need to get out here." She was coming down the driveway and she seen a man go behind the trailer, and she said, "Someone someone went behind the trailer. They're behind the trailer. I haven't taken the lights off the trailer, so." My bedroom faces that driveway, so I'm looking out the window to see if I can see who it is and if there's someone there, and I don't see anybody. So I get my firearm, and I go outside, and I search the area, search the woods. I kind of live in a wooded area, too, and uh, in the country, so I'm searching the, the woods. There's no one there, and I'm like, there's no one here, babe, babe. and uh, she's like, I seen a man come from the driveway behind your trailer. I'm like, there's no one here. I searched this whole area and it was, it was a little disturbing. And I'm like, even my daughter had came out of her room a couple of times. She's like, dad, there's something in my room. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, it just feels like somebody's watching me. Like I'm, oh, wow. I'm scared. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. And she actually slept in our room and she was a teenager. You know, oh, she's wow. like, yeah, there's something in, in my room. I don't know what it is. She said, but wow. it's, it's watching me. Yeah. And it's, that's the risk you take doing this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? This is what we do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and that's why I kind of started the podcast. You know, uh, yeah, because I I definitely want people to be educated about these things are out there, and oh, can yeah. they hurt you? Yeah, they can hurt you. We don't we don't know the the capabilities of what they can do. Right, we never thought that could happen, but boy, it sure did in in the San Pedro case. And, uh, so uh, it's out there. I think people have to be very uh, aware that sometimes you may not know what you're getting into. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, when you guys went there, you probably were ne- never expecting something like that to happen. No, no, uh, not at all, not at all. I mean, it, uh, at first, um, the, it was amazing enough having the, the camera, Jeff's camera pulling out of his hands and, and all those things happening like that first night. And uh, it didn't sh- even shut one of our lights. It shut, I mean, uh, the light in the house, all the lights in the house went off and on when I was doing the interview with Jackie the first night. I shot a quickie interview before we left and all the lights just went off and went on no explanation for that there was nothing draining any power really and uh, so uh no but we didn't know what it would uh you know escalate into but it seems that when we invaded the crawl space of the attic when we went up you know when jeff went up there that first night it was almost like we opened we had opened pandora's box or something like that did you guys get any like foul stench smells like like death kind of smell. Oh yeah, I don't know if Jeff smelled it so much, but when we were when we were up in the the attic the first night, I smelled something kind of foul smelling, almost like decaying flesh. Yeah, you know, I've smelled that before too. Yeah, like that, and I just that's when I told Jeff I said I think maybe we should get out of the attic or leave the attic. Yeah, hell yeah. And uh, and so we were, uh, and that's when. You know, I went down first, and he's coming down. That's when he was pushed by the large bony hand part on the back. You know that that incident. It's just so, so weird. Like some of the stuff that you've you've experienced, I've experienced the same kind of stuff. Like you said, you 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 read stuff out of the Bible, and the, the thing didn't like things being read out of the Bible. Well, we had a case like that too, where yeah. the owner said that he seen this figure talking to his daughter at the end of the bed. She was talking to it. And it was a black figure, this tall black figure. And 
he was kind of a religious person, so he said his daughter was acting really weird, and he started reading inserts from the Bible, Psalms out of the Bible, and he said this foul stench came upon the room, and uh, he said it smelled like death and kind of feces mixed, and you know, as an investigator, you always take everything with a grain of salt because people, you do get some really whacked out people that are totally just, some of them are crazy. Uh, yeah. They're having psychological issues and, you know, they're saying their house is haunted, they're going to get killed. And I mean, I've seen it all. People saying they yeah. were possessed. And I mean, oh my God, it's it's been, it's yeah. been a whirlwind. And oh, yeah. uh, so we were investigating and I heard a disembodied voice say something like, I was, we were a nuisance. It was like, you're a nuisance, right? And I'm like, did you guys hear a voice? And they're like, no, I didn't hear anything. I'm like, thought I heard something say, like, we're a nuisance or something. And I did catch it on a recording. And uh, right after that, I was like, well, Diana, why don't you read uh, some inserts out of the Bible or, or Psalms like this this man's doing and see if we get this foul smell. And right. she reads some inserts from Psalms and two of the investigators smell it. Now I'm only maybe four feet away. I don't smell anything, but they're smelling it. And they're like, dude, that is horrible. What is that? I'm like, I don't smell anything. And they're like, you don't smell anything over there. I'm like, I don't smell anything. And they're like, it's gone. It's gone. As quick as it came, it was gone. So maybe like 20 minutes goes by. I said, just read another insert. She reads another one. This time it happens to me. And uh, this smell comes Right, my, it's really pungent, like death, like oh, yeah. death, and like a feces smell. It was terrible. I was like, "Oh my god, what in the hell is that?" And I've only smelled that only one time over twenty years of investigating, and it was in that place, and uh, never smelt it again anywhere else but there. And it's really, it's a really foul stench, like someone's dead. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, yeah, it really is gross. So, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen during a haunting, but the fact that they can follow you probably was the most, you know, intimidating thing. Yeah, I mean, how can you fight something you can't really see? Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. That, and yeah, like I said, Jeff was a total skeptic. I'm going to have to put you in touch with Jeff. Yeah, and, I'd uh, definitely love to talk to him about it. Is he still up there after talking about it? I'm sure he would. Uh, he's in the West Covina area. Uh, you know what? Uh, email me. You have my email, right? Yes. Email, address. email me, and I will get his information. He also, another uh, guy, would, I'm sure he'd be more happy to talk is, is uh, Gary Bame, who, who pulled Jeff down out of the attic, you know, out, off that nail, bent that nail down to get him off of that nail. Oh, I'd definitely love to talk to him, yeah. I, I love the story. The whole the whole thing was just, just amazing. Uh, I've never experienced anything of that nature um, in 20 years of, I mean, you see stuff like the Warrens, uh, with their country movies and stuff. I mean, that's like just movies, you know, it's a movie, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, I've never been in a case where the house is totally erupted and things are flying around and, you know, I'd love to see that, but I've, I've well, yet to see that kind of thing. No, I have not seen anything like that either. I've, it's mostly, uh, well, I have to base it on the San Pedro. It was the most prolific case. It's it was kind of like, um, you it was things would happen when you least expect them, you know. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, things flying around like that's some kind of a movie or something like that. It was, I mean, nonstop. It was just things that like when the hanging happened, we didn't expect that. Yeah. When the thing was pulled out of his hands, 
We didn't expect that. <laughs> He's also had some kind of like uh like uh plasma or something that was like dripping out of the cabinets and stuff, right? Oh oh yeah, before we go. That was the okay, that was the uh, okay, that was just before the hanging incident. That was I wanna say that was late August, like around the twenty eighth or twenty ninth, something like that. And actually by this time, you know, Taffa told some people about it and uh they had brought down a guy from San Diego who had some kind of an infrared camera set up, uh, you know, I forget what it was called, Kohu camera or something like that, what they called it. He shoot in dark. And um and then um they they had been there and I think there was a couple of guys that were friends of mine that were they did movies. Uh they did a, I can't remember the name, name now. It's been so long since I've talked to them, but they did a, a movie called Critters. They did the effects for the movie Critters and Killer Clowns and all that. So they were effects guys. And they went up in the attic and spent some time. Nothing happened. So finally, everybody just kind of left, except it was just me. I think uh, Gary, I'm sorry. No, I don't think Gary, I don't think Gary, uh, Jeff was there that night. Uh, yeah, Gary wasn't there that night. Uh, and there was a guy named Bob Moss, who was a friend of mine. He worked in lighting, did lighting for productions we worked on. And this liquid ooze started uh, dribbling down the out of the out of the uh, what do you call it? The uh, it's like a little nook there, you know, like right? a kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was coming out of the, this little nook, uh, and it seemed to materialize out of nowhere. And it was like the walls were the covered with sweating you know this open thing and they took it uh i guess they got a, a sample of it uh, taft took it to a lab at ucla i believe it was and somebody did an analysis on it uh, the only bad thing was that they, they wouldn't go on camera because they didn't they did it kind of on the qt they were they probably could have gotten in trouble they didn't want to be tied to anything paranormal but they did do an analysis for taft and it came back that it was human blood plasma Wow. With a, heavy, with a heavy copper and iodine content. Now, that's Holy interesting, crap. but the iodine was just weird because the first night we were in there, um, when we went to the house, August 8, 89, in that back laundry room where you go into the attic crawl space, that's what we smelled. We smelled the odor of iodine. And it's interesting because iodine is a byproduct of kelp that comes from the ocean. Yeah, and of course the house had been lived in by a lot of you know wayward seamen over the years, and and um, there was a guy named John Damon that could have been one of the spirits that lived in the house at one time. He died in the house, I heard. Wow. And uh, so there's all these different little things that that led to the sea, especially the um, uh, the fact that the cord that 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 the this by the way it was an old weathered clothesline cord that hung Jeff Wecraft that came out of nowhere. That cord was not up there before when we investigated. And it it attached itself around his neck very tightly and it was weathered. It was old. It could have been up it looked like it was something an old clothesline from fifty years ago, but it was, you know, pliable enough that it could hang a guy. But that was tied in a very specific knot. Now none of us I didn't know anything about knots. I don't think Jeff knew much about knots. And I took it to an old seaman named Luke Coolgis, who lived in San Pedro. I think he was on the original documentary I did. I'm sure he's passed away by now because he'd be well over 100. But but that was a bowline knot that was a oh, traditional wow. 
longshoremen not they just yeah yeah hundreds of ships and stuff like that they still sure use that have, knot they probably still use it. it's a non-slip knot they yep. call it i think yep that's and a seaman's knot seaman's knot and that in that and that what is that doing there of course it was a place where many seamen lived but where that rope came from i don't know you know that rope also that cord um disappeared i kept that cord and i had it in the apartment uh in a drawer in the kitchen and i wouldn't have thrown it away by any means and one night uh it was the night after we had taken a voice stress analysis test on camera and which we all passed you know that's a uh, form of lie detector test only they they measure uh they do audio recordings they measure the micro tremblers in your voice and uh, they can tell what you're telling the truth. It's like a polygraph, but it's done with with sound. And uh, we all passed that. And Jackie had come over to the apartment, and I think it was Jeff, me, Jeff, and Jackie. I guess that was us three. We'd gone, and then we came back to the apartment uh, after we'd gone to get some eat, and, and they were going to get their cars and leave. And when we came back to the apartment, the back door started opening and closing, and it was uh, deadbolted from the inside. Oh my God! We walk, walk out of the room, and you hear a noise, and you walk back in the kitchen. It would be open. At one point, it took a chair and put it on top of the kitchen table. Oh, one crap! Of kitchen chairs, and I didn't notice it till like the next day or so. I looked for the cord. I think somebody asked me if they want to take some pictures. I have video of the cord. We have some close-up photos, but but that cord was gone. It's almost like the entity came back to reclaim that thing. Wow. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> That's don't creepy. Know. It took the evidence. <laughs> that is creepy. Yeah. So that was the that was the other weird thing. Yeah, it was very, very strange. So Oh my God. Wow. But well John, it's been great talking to you, man. Yes, sir, man. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And uh yeah, you ever get out this way and you want to do some, yeah. some paranormal stuff, let me know because I always have stuff going on. Yeah, definitely. And listen, uh, if you get any uh, really good evidence on camera, I'm always, you know, feel free to send me some clips or something like that. I'll send you that video of that stuff I caught uh, in Ephrata, that black mass. I would love to see it. I would love to see it. Yeah. yeah it's pretty video. awesome. Um, it's it's grainy because the camera system kind of sucked back then, but yeah, uh, yeah. they're nothing like now. But uh, yeah. Yeah, but I'll I'll get you uh you you send me an email I'll get you their information I'll get Jeff and Gary I'm sure Jeff and uh, Gary Bain is the guy's name he's back now he's a pilot now he runs a real estate company and uh, I'm sure Gary could put some more input into that story give you a better perspective on it from maybe something I didn't think about because I mean there were so many things that happened during that case but you you did cover the gist of them there and uh, any other questions we'll do another show again so. Uh, Oh yeah, I'm, I mean, if you ever got, any, you have some more paranormal stuff you want to talk about, I'm definitely down for it because I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, John. It was great talking to you, and uh, let's talk again soon. And uh, I'll get you that information. Just get me sent, shoot me an email. But more than happy to. Oh, awesome, Barry. Awesome. I appreciate everything, man. And you have a uh, great weekend. And it was a pleasure, pleasure talking to you. Oh, uh, you too, John. You too. And it was a pleasure from our end too. So I uh, hope to talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you, John. All right, Barry. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, folks, that was Barry Conrad. That was awesome, man. That guy, 
wow, I can't believe I talked to Barry Conrad. I've followed him for years. Uh, the guy's a, a famous videographer, paranormal investigator, and you just heard the man talking about the San Pedro haunting. Super cool, man. That was a stellar interview. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. And you heard him. He's going to hook me up with Jeff Wecraft, the man that was actually hung by this unseen force in the attic, and the, and the other investigator that got him down. So we're going to have them on. So stay tuned. We're going to have these guys on talking more about the San Pedro haunting, which is freaking awesome. I'm so happy that I finally talked to him and made a good friend also. So I'm very, very happy. And uh, thank you guys for tuning into the Paranormal Journal. Like it, love it, share it, follow me on Podbean. You get all the latest updates of when I go when I go live, when the show next episode airs, and uh, definitely you know share out the love about the Paranormal Journal because we're gonna have more great guests like this on the show, and these guys are a pioneer in paranormal investigations, uh, and I, I love it. I just love it. I love doing this, and I love getting this information out. To you people out there so thank you guys have a great great night great weekend i'm out see you next time